This is Relatively Prime, Relapsing Fevers in the Mathematical Domain. I am Samuel Hansen. Most months here at Relatively Prime, I bring to you the story of some work being done by a mathematician who I talk to for the very first time when I interview them. Today, today I'm going to try something different. Sure, I'm still going to be sharing with you the story of some work that was done by a mathematician, but this is definitely not the first time that we talked. In fact, I used to share an office with this mathematician while I was at grad school at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. This interview was conducted a while ago, back in 2016 in Seattle during the joint mathematics meetings. And I'm going to cop to sitting on it because really, to me, it felt a little biased and weird to be focusing so closely on the work of a person who I've had over to my apartment for dinner parties plenty of times. But then I realized I was being unfair. Unfair to my friend who agreed to sit down and give me their time for an interview for one, but mostly I was being unfair to y'all for not telling you a story that starts off fascinating and then ends up just a little bit frightening. Not, not too much, just a little bit. And it has a stop for bears right in the middle. And I definitely don't want to be unfair to y'all. So instead, let's hear what my friend has for us. Three semesters, we were, we were fellow grad students. And now I'm going to have Cody do something I always wanted him to do. I want Cody to spell his name. Uh, my name is spelled C-O-D-Y-P-A-L-M-E-R. And at the time that this recording was made, Cody was a PhD student at the University of Montana. In the couple of years that have passed, Cody has become a postdoctoral research scientist at the Institute for Disease Modeling. Given that title, you might not be surprised that while still in Montana, Cody did some work on a disease model, specifically a model of what are known as vector-borne relapsing diseases. When we say vector, we don't mean it in the linear algebra sense. We mean it in the epidemiological sense. Uh, a vector is some agent that's carrying the disease among a host population. And the relapsing portion is that it's just a disease that you can apparently get over, but then you get it again without coming into contact with any other infected hosts or vectors. In the case of the work Cody was doing, the motivation was a specific one of these vector-borne relapsing diseases, specifically tick-borne relapsing fever. This is a, a fever that's spread by small ticks, not deer ticks, like what you would get hiking around, but small ticks that live in rodent nests and mattresses in sort of rustic cabins. And it's a fever that you get, you have it for about a week, or so, and then you don't have it, and then you relapse and you get it again, and that'll happen three to four times. There's a lice-borne relapsing fever too, and matching descriptions of these diseases which go all the way back to ancient Greece. So clearly, we've known about these relapsing fevers for quite a long time, which always makes me wonder, why now? Why are we studying this now? Per perhaps there was some sort of personal motivations which drove the research? Now, I would usually be reluctant to ask most people who had just agreed to give me some time out of their very important lives to 
ask if a tick had once bit them and given them a relapsing fever, but Cody, Cody is a friend. So I didn't have any sort of reluctance in this case. What you guys can't see out there in podcast land is that Cody Palmer has this this glorious, massively huge beard. So I'm wondering, since you look like you live in a rustic cabin, is there a very personal motivation for this, Cody? I have not had relapsing fever. Okay, so it may not have been personal, but it still hit close to home. What motivated it for us in particular is uh, just north of where I live in Missoula, there's this giant flathead lake that has an island on it where, um, like, I think it's Boy Scouts or some other youth groups go up there and stay there. And then there was a couple people that, after staying on this island, had gotten relapsing fever. And so there's this island in a lake where we know that the ticks have or are carrying this relapsing fever. So I've thought about going up there and kind of just, I don't know, laying naked in the brush to see if I could, if I could pick this up just to, just to experience it. Okay, this, this is definitely not endorsed research behavior by those of us here at Relatively Prime. But if you do decide to lay naked in the brush to get an illness to further your mathematical study, which... We definitely in no way condone or endorse. If you do decide to do that, please send us a message. We would love, love to tell your story. But once again, we do not condone this behavior. We're, we're all clear on that, right? All clear. No condoning this behavior. Good? Okay, so moving on. This relapsing fever is a species of Borrelia bacteria. And there's something that is very interesting about the Borrelia bacteria species. But before Cody tells us what that is, I need to tell you about what are called antigenic structures. Now, these are structures that a host's immune system can use to identify and recognize things that it determines it needs to deal with. And then the immune system creates antibodies which bind to these antigenic structures. And that is where this interesting thing about Borrelia bacteria comes in. Borrelia is special because it can actually, over over its reproductions, it can actually uh, change its antigenic structures. So all of a sudden it becomes unrecognizable to the host's immune system. It's that mechanism, the changing antigenic structures of the Borrelia bacteria, that cause the relapse part of the relapsing fever. Now, as you all know, I am definitely not a biologist. And really, I'm barely conversant in disease spread. But it is obvious that this is really interesting and it definitely deserves greater study, which is why it was absolutely no surprise to me to learn that computational biologist Aaron Langeth from the University of Montana built a model of this disease. Before being able to properly study this model, though, Aaron ended up getting pulled away to do more work on a completely different model, one which dealt with the movement of bears through mountain ranges. Because, you know, Montana. 
Don't let this turn your smile into a frown, though, because tick relapsing fever is clearly too interesting of a disease to let the model of it lay fallow for long. Which is why, to our good luck, my friend Cody was moved onto it and started trying to answer this question. How does the number of relapses affect the dynamics of the disease? This usually is a three or four relapse disease about or or so, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, And so your model did not just make it three or four. So you were, you were actually testing for a lot of different numbers yeah. of, of relapses. And so what, what essentially did you end up finding from that? Well, we found sort of, uh, sort of disappointingly, uh, we found that the dynamics don't change no matter how many relapses there are. Uh, and when I say they don't change, I mean in a, in a broad qualitative sense that really nothing nothing super special starts happening as we add relapses. Although uh, the one thing that we did note is that the disease, and maybe this is sort of common sense or what, maybe not common sense, what you would expect to happen is that the more relapses that you add into a disease, sort of the more, well, the more average number of infections you're going to get from a single infected individual. Okay. It is a bit of a letdown that changing the number of relapses doesn't seem to have much effect, but Just because a result isn't fireworks worthy, that does not mean that the work to get to that result shouldn't merit a celebration in and of itself. Yeah, so it's worth mentioning, first of all, that while the analyses were standard, they were very difficult because we were dealing with an arbitrary number of equations. So this involved, like a lot of the computations that we did, involved uh, taking an inverse of a matrix of arbitrary size and then multiplying together matrices of arbitrary size and then finding uh, an eigenvalue of a matrix of arbitrary size and then proving that zero was an eigenvalue for a matrix of arbitrary size and it was simple. Uh, so it was a lot of sort of very difficult calculations to do. Plus, they did show that the number of relapses does have an effect on the average number of infections caused by a single infected individual, a rate usually referred to in disease models as r not. And remember, are not. It's going to come up again and soon. And they also showed the existence of, well, actually, I'll just let Cody explain it. We also proved the existence of what are called endemic equilibria. And so these are going to be steady states of the system where some portion of the susceptible population is infected. So not everybody is getting infected, but some of them are getting infected. And that's sort of where the, the, uh, the disease levels out. It doesn't infect everybody, but it'll just sort of level out at this endemic equilibrium. So, so there's, a, there's a case where it just won't go away. Like it's, there's just like enough of it to maintain itself, but not enough to go to be, well, an epidemic. Yeah, and that's and one of the things that we managed to show is that when this when this R naught parameter is larger than one, we have these endemic equilibria where the disease will persist in the population for as long as the population exists. Well, that's both cool and terrifying. In fact, when that R naught value is close to one, when the number of people one infected person infects is close to one, this result gets 
even more of both. And that's close to one. These endemic equilibria are stable. And so what will happen is, is that if there's a little bit of the disease in the population, instead of it dying out, it will actually tend towards these endemic equilibrium. So depending on what the value of r naught is in your population, it could be if you get it even in just one individual in the population, it's going to turn endemic, that it's always going to be there. Great. One infected person means that this disease could stick around forever. That's just wonderful. Um, however, I, sorry about that. I, I don't know what's going on. As, as I was saying, one infected person and this disease never goes away. How, how horrible. However, what's and, interesting. Again, I am so sorry. Let, just, just one more time. However, just, what's interesting. Wait, about <laughs> uh, I guess Cody really wants to tell us more. However, what's interesting about that is that I said that that's only true when the number, average number of new infections from an infected individual is near one. Once it gets greater than one, we're not actually sure what happens. Um, the math becomes a little, uh, a little hard to do uh, in those cases to try and assess their stability. Oh, great, Cody. Really comforting. I was really hoping for something a bit better than we don't know what's going to happen when people are really spreading this fever around. What's next? Are you going to tell me that it's also a particularly fatal disease? No, it's not a particularly fatal disease. Whew. So even if you do get it, you probably don't have to worry about it. That is to say that the people in the more developed parts of the world don't really have anything to worry about. In the less developed areas, that areas where this fever has been appearing the most, there are things to fear, particularly if it's misdiagnosed, as it often is, for malaria, and people are given the incorrect treatment. Because while it's not a super fatal disease, it can still be fatal. And while the model and the results derived from it were focused on better understanding these relapsing diseases and not on figuring out how to fight them. Cody does think that the results do point towards a few approaches that might help. If you can reduce the biting rate, so if you can uh, avoid interactions with these infected vectors, you can drive the disease out of the population. That's enough. Other things like extermination. Extermination is something that can drive the disease out of the population. So don't get bit by ticks and fleas, or just kill all the ticks and fleas. I know as a person who has at least a basic grasp on science, I'm not really supposed to favor extermination, but for ticks and fleas, I'm really kind of okay with it. And I am guessing here, but Cody probably meant just the small local population near an infection, because as I learned in grad school, Cody is in the end always nicer and smarter than I am. That is really all I wanted to share with you about my former office mate's work, but I'm loath to go out on a bit about extermination. So instead, 
let me share with you this nugget of wisdom that Cody learned back when we were both still in Las Vegas at UNLV. I had a chop house burger with fried egg ever since uh, having fried eggs on burgers at the Rum Runner. Do you remember the Rum, oh, rum, runner? The rum runner? Ever since having fried eggs there, uh, I will always get a fried egg on my burger, burger if I get a chance. And that is all the time that we have for this episode of Relatively Prime. I want to thank my old office mate, Cody Palmer, for agreeing to be interviewed and for all the help that Cody gave me getting Relatively Prime off the ground. I am not kidding here. Cody helped shoot the first Kickstarter video that we used to get the first season of Relatively Prime funded. So all of the thanks to Cody and a lot of apologies for all the annoying things that I did when we shared an office. I also want to thank the AMS and the MAA for the joint mathematics meetings where this was recorded, as well as Seattle for having the largest density of specialty coffee shops I have ever witnessed in a city. Finally, I want to thank all of my patrons on Patreon. Without y'all, this show would not and could not exist. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you want to join them in supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash relprime or relprime.com slash support. And speaking of relprime.com, if you head over there, you can find out more information about this show as well as find a link to subscribe to it. And if you want to get in touch with me, Samuel Hansen, your host and producer, you can send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. The music in this episode is from Lowercase N, who you can find over at lowercasen.bandcamp.com. Finally, Relatively Prime is created under Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. So please go make a dubstep mix with Cody saying extermination on the drop. Just make sure that you say that you got that awesome clip from Relatively Prime. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, have a matherific week. Bye, y'all.